Welcome to Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives, a podcast by and about the spirituality of the richly diverse Milwaukee Christians who are all connected to little bold Redeemer Church in the heart of the city on Wisconsin Avenue. I'm Lisa Bates Froyland, pastor of Redeemer, and since 2011, I've been on a journey with the incredible people you'll meet on the podcast each week. I always say there are no dull people at Redeemer, and thanks be to God for that. Even during this pandemic, our Redeemer lives, and we are living our Redeemer lives. This week, where the church should be now. I first learned the name David Hullman as founder and director of the Black String Triage Ensemble, committed to using music as the healing force for the soul in the immediate aftermath of community violence. It seemed like an idea that had been long coming and was not apparent in the Milwaukee community, and now it is. If I'd been more aware, I would have already known his name from his service as the first openly LGBTQIA and Black Kenosha County Supervisor. I was honored to collaborate with him a few years back when he led music at Redeemer as our guest, and this summer our relationship went to another space, and that was from a phone conversation where David challenged me to use my voice much more forcefully against the forces of white supremacy that played a tremendous role in the events that transpired in Kenosha at the end of the summer. Together, we collaborated on a video that's still available on YouTube called Why Kenosha Happened. In my experience, David is that rare man who easily spins out ideas that you can't believe no one else has thought to do yet. He analyzes, challenges, and sometimes even afflicts. If you thought prophets were confined to the Old Testament, you clearly haven't met David Hallman. So I really just want to ask David two questions for today's podcast and see where that takes us. So, David, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Reverend Doctor, for the invite. Uh, it's an honor, a privilege, and a joy. So the first question is what I've been asking everyone, um, especially during this pandemic. How is it with your soul? For my soul personally, um, frustration. Um, I think many of us are struggling with the the full extent of our inhumanity is on display. And it is, it's odd in a way because we're challenged by seeing acts of humanity, but then it questions us all of those places in which we as individuals and collectively could go further. And so I think for many of us, that's the struggle. Um, seeing that and feeling that as, as we process our own mortality, not fully understanding why some have left us and been taken and why others of us are still here, how much time we still have, um, whether that's COVID-19 or some other calamity or natural causes that baffle even the best medical examiners of our nation. I think all of that just makes this complicated. And to have to be severed from one another as humans whether it's socially distant or completely isolated for one reason or another, just makes that pain even all the more deeper. It's a very private and personal question, but um, anything to say about your conversation with God these days? Um, 
how, why, and when is really what those conversations consist of. Um, is, is this what we needed as human beings as a reset? Um, the medieval times, medieval ages, this didn't just happen once in some countries and some towns and villages. It happened multiple times and was part of a way of life. Um, I, my prayer every day is just help keep me here so that I can do what it is that is needed of me. Um, and of those that I love, help them make wise decisions, help them not give in to foolishness, help them not give up um, as people tire of wearing masks, um, and, and just where is the end? Where is the end? We've been blessed with intelligence to begin to develop and create vaccines and do all kinds of things, but getting them into people is obviously a challenge. I heard earlier today that a hospital actually flubbed some of that process. Um, so where, where is the end? And, and when we get there, what kind of collective moment do we all have to have to have to, to grieve appropriately and to get to a place of closure. When is that moment? And will we ever actually get closure or do we simply get vaccinated and just move on? And then if we do that, what's the fallout? And how can I, in, in, in the work that I do and the musicians that I work with, where's the point that we can be allowed to step in and really help everybody? That really is, is the prayer, is help me see when that moment is so that I can be ready and they can be ready. The only other question, I just left it purposely wide, wide open um, to someone who has worked within the church, alongside the church, um, been a careful observer from the outside watching the church operate or not operate in response to things. In your opinion, where should the church be right now? Ooh, um, that it feels like a loaded question, but it, it's really not. Um, I guess I should preface that with an explanation. Um, I am not, as some would call, a cradle Lutheran. That that is not me. Um, I grew up in the Church of God in Christ, African American Pentecostal denomination formed out of Memphis, Tennessee, in the early 1900s. Uh, of the charismatic movement. They believe very heavily in speaking in tongues. Um, coming to the Lutheran Church happened because the Church of God in Christ does not want to have uh, among its parishioners or among its clergy or some, I guess one would say even in the world, LGBTQ people. It does not want us. And so if you still love Christ and and believe in the resurrection and want a place to be and want to find a way to somehow make yourself useful, where do you go? There really aren't a whole lot of options. There really aren't. Um, and I was, some might say, strangely fortunate um, that my high school was Missouri Synod Lutheran. Um, and our pastor in residence, who for those four years of theology class, he, I had him for three and he made it clear that uh, that 
there was not a lot of affection for the ELCA <laughs> because the ELCA. I said, well, why? He said, because Dr. Holman, you know, German theology class. I call everyone doctor. Oh. Uh, he said, because they ordain women and allow gays and lesbians into the ministry. And I picked up my pencil and made a small note and folded it up and put it in my pocket. E-L-C-A. Uh-huh. And so once I graduated high school and started college, I visited a number of ELCA congregations and found one to uh, make my home. And this is where I've been. And it's been an exciting journey to find that the whitest church in America has, at its core, at least in terms of dialogue, a desire and an expression that aligns closely with or resonates with those of us who come out of the black church tradition, being the AME, the three Baptist divisions, the Church God in Christ, um, around social and economic justice. Because many black congregations have given up on that. They gave up on it a long time ago for one reason or another. Um, So this has been a good place to be. I have been blessed as an an adopted Lutheran that folks have accepted me, not always with ease or with great understanding, but they've done so. Um, So to answer your question, (laughs) (laughs) what should the church in this moment be doing? Um, When church shootings started becoming frequent in America and the conversation turned to well, maybe we should have somebody at the door with a firearm. Okay, well, who's going to want to visit your church? If you if your deacon has a gun at the door, who wants to show up? And it's not a good recruitment strategy. So I've always felt like the call for us should be out in the street because that's That's where the people are. That's where the work is. And it doesn't mean that worship is an afterthought. It doesn't mean that the folks that you have showing up every Sunday are neglected. It it doesn't mean that at all. But it's a challenge to say, how can I as an individual, how can we as a group be present and active in the world? And I know there's a lot of fear around that for Lutherans because the Mormons will send their young people to locations and say, tell people to join the Church of Latter-day Saints. Um, It's funny, in, in Kenosha, I think it had to be like eight in the morning. I had a knock at my door and I opened it and it was two white women and they were um, Jehovah's Witnesses. And I asked me, do you know, you know the Lord and Savior? Yes, I, I believe, but I, I apologize, ladies. I'm, I'm not Jehovah's Witness. By the way, do you know that they have sent you into the hood? <laughs> you might get more black men because it's two white women, you know, going door to door. But I, they, they should have told you when they gave you the map. I just thought that you should know, be blessed and be safe, you know, and, and close the door. Um, and Lutherans are not the ones to be on the corner holding the Bible, condemning people, telling you what you should wear, what you should eat, how you should conduct yourself. So how we live our lives Mm. in terms of sparking that curious question of you're different, but why are you different Mm -hmm. is an intense place of struggle because there's really no instructions on what or how you can do that would spark someone to ask that. 
So you really have to see some kind of human need and want to be out there. When people say, well, why is nobody else doing this? You know, or, or why are you, you could be at home watching Netflix. You could be catching up on Game of Thrones. You could be out catching Pokemon with your phone, but you're not. You're out here. Why? Well, I feel that this is what Christ has called me to do. Oh, where do you attend church? Who's your rev? What's it like there? Would I be welcome? Those are the waterfall of questions that accompany that curiosity. So I think the challenge for us as ELCA Lutheran folks is in being those hands and feet. Where do we feel called? Where do we, I don't even want to say see ourselves as being capable because many times we don't and that's part of the fear. Yeah. Um, but it's just really, really being out there in ways that other people don't see and don't intend. And that is the massive challenge every day is to say, what on earth is that? Yeah. Wow. You sparked a, a lot of thoughts for me. Um, one of them is that I've sometimes told, because Lutherans really aren't uh, comfortable very often with testifying, with witnessing, and um, they don't know how or when or how they would possibly do that. And so I say, you know, what your cue might be is if you're interacting with someone and they say, why are you being so kind to me? That that might be your invitation. It could be something like that. And then what you said just a moment ago about uh, you were starting along a path of what would you feel good about doing or comfortable doing and then the way the Holy Spirit so often works is is exactly what you don't feel comfortable doing that you're often called to do. Well, because, I mean, you'll so as a person who, who does attend church, uh, and of course my, my home congregation would say, well, well, we need someone to teach Sunday school. And immediately says, well, I, I, I don't really like kids, so that's not me, <laughs> you know, and... Well, we need someone to, uh, you know, join the choir. Oh, I don't have a great voice. That's not me. We need somebody to help uh, bake bake pie so that we can uh, raise money to help pay off the light bill. Yeah, I'm not good in the kitchen. Okay, okay, okay. So to the person who's sitting there saying, you know, I don't like kids, okay, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. But I bet you got something about your cell phone you don't understand. And there's a nine-year-old who's going to unlock all your stuff <laughs> and help you figure out how you can talk, you know, to, to relatives or, or to folks that you went to college with on Facebook that if you weren't teaching Sunday school, probably nobody's going to help you with that. You probably went to the Apple store and they did whatever and you left just as befuddled as when you walked in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to the person who says, oh, I'm not good in the kitchen. Okay. Maybe you're not good at making apple or cherry pies like Sarah Lee, but you can probably throw some stuff in a blender and make some smoothies, and that way people have something. Would you pies or smoothies? Which would you like? It all helps the lights get paid of the church. So it's it's in those spaces where you really think you are the least capable that God calls you and often equips you to be the most powerful. We we forget that King David was a shepherd 
and made the shepherd king. So in, in our modern equivalency, uh, what would that be? Um, it might it might look like um, somebody who um, is maybe a custodial worker all of a sudden becomes the mayor. And you say, well, we would, we, that's, it's not that that can't happen, but I mean, we had a situation where uh, down in Kenosha, uh, one of our custodial workers ran for county clerk. And she won. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people discouraged her, said she was nothing and that she couldn't do it. That woman was amazing, was amazing. Found ways to bring revenue into the office, ran our elections smoothly, made sure that the county board stuff was in order. Uh, She has left that work. But to this day, I, I, I would hear people from other parts of the country complain about things with their county clerk. And I just sit there, I don't have those problems. But she, she had an understanding of people and, and was committed to hearing what those needs were and working with folks and was one of the most amazing and extraordinary public servants. So it really is in those places that you think you're least capable that God basically kicks your patootie and says, this is, this is, this is you, you know? Amen. When I think about David um, in the Bible, I think just one step beyond his shepherd days, his first assignment was really to be a musician and comfort an afflicted Saul. To come in the middle of the night, Saul couldn't sleep. He was terrorized um, in those early morning hours, and and David was called to, to be at his side, play calming music, and try to soothe his soul. That sounds a lot like the work that you've been doing with the Black String Triage Ensemble. I wonder if you'd tell us about one of those times when the ensemble arrived on scene and what transpired. Oh, um, I believe there was um, this past summer at, I want to say, 20, no, 47th and Center, I think, and a man had been driving in his car and got shot while he was driving. Car crashed into a building. And I and the rest of the orchestra members had showed up to the scene before the medical examiner. And we started to unpack our music stands and our instruments and pulled our music out and got settled and people were gathering around, gawking. There wasn't a lot of talking, a slight murmur of noise from the crowd that had gathered. And a young man came from out of nowhere and starts hollering at the top of his lungs. He says, oh, God, oh, God, that's my friend. That's my friend. I can't believe this happened to him, and we don't even live here. And he carried on like that for, I don't know, five, seven minutes, and I looked over at my very nervous orchestra members who were ready to play, kind of like, should we play now? Should we play now? I said, just wait, just wait. A couple minutes went by. Someone else showed up to the scene who must have known the man who was uh, in grief over seeing his his friend in, in this condition. And they put 
their arm around him and, and escorted him away. And when that happened, I looked at the musicians. I said, now. And I was playing viola instead of conducting. Uh, and so we just started right in on sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Um, usually in a triage program, there's six pieces of music. We didn't play all six because out of the six that were on that particular program, I think there was two that I felt like weren't appropriate for that situation. Um, and so we closed with Richard Smallwood's total praise because I, I always keep watch at, at these scenes. I'm watching the musicians to make sure they're okay. I'm watching the police to make sure they're I don't want to say okay, but that, that no additional chaos ensues. Um, and I'm always watching the people because you never know how someone might react to whatever. I was a lifeguard. That was my first job. Yeah, it's kind of like a shepherd, but for swimming people. <laughs> And you never let go of being a lifeguard. So you're looking, looking, you know, guarding against, do I need to act now? Um, can I let this play out? You know, and um, part of the training for that is that uh, you have to learn defenses sometimes. Because if you're the only one in the pool and someone is drowning, they will do anything to get their head above water, including pushing you down. Mm -hmm. So you have to learn how to, we would learn these defenses to get away from them and then try to come around the side and grab them this way to get them up and out. And, and the I, terror of knowing every second time is of the essence. Yeah. But what helps is if you've got people in the pool with you, right? So that's the, that's the whole key to ministry and, and trying to lead a community of faith where there are a lot of people who are drowning Anywhere, there's a lot of people who are drowning. But if you've got more people in the pool, then you don't have that danger of drowning yourself because of somebody else's pain and struggle. I could tell as we were going through the list of songs we were going to play that, that people, I, I noticed that folks had started to physically kind of move together, put arms around each other. Um, and when we had finished playing... Total praise. I got my phone and checked the 911 call log to see if there was somewhere else that night that we might also go in and do the same. And I said to the musicians, I said, so are we ready to do another one if, if we're needed? And they looked at me. They said, no, David, this was enough. We've done what we were here to do. Um... And I could tell looking at their faces that it was just too much. It was too much. And they're volunteers, mm -hmm. you know. Um, at this point, I'm a volunteer too. Um, so there's no reason to ask more of them. I think what, what I've learned, and maybe this is the thing that scares people, is that... Making the world better for other people, when we seek to intervene in terms of healing pain, whatever that is, 
you really can only do it by picking up a piece of it. And that probably is the fear because in picking up a piece of it, it changes you. Not just because you have to get emotionally close to that situation, but that when you pick it up, it's going to dwell with you. It's going to plant some sort of seed in you and mature in a certain way, hopefully a healthy one, given the fact that you're doing trying to do something noble. Um, but I think for many people that maybe is the hesitation. And it's scary when it's an individual, you know, oh, I have to go and do this. And, but if we all decide to pick up a piece of it, if we all share a little bit of the burden, it becomes less frightening. That sounds exactly like where the church needs to be right now. Willing to pick up the pain uh, in order to walk into a place of healing. And if there are a lot of us together, it makes the burden just a bit more bearable. David, thank you for this conversation. I appreciate it greatly. You know how much I respect your capacious mind, your creativity, but man, your heart Thanks so much. Thank you for the invite. What a gift to converse with David Holman about where the church needs to be right now. And I heard in this message two things that are our key tenets of our faith, really. One of them is being called into action. So the, where the church needs to be is where people are called. And that sometimes that calling doesn't feel like it could possibly fit you. And yet it may very much be right from the Holy Spirit. It helps to be in community so that we are supporting one another and encouraging one another to try the new things so that the church can be present where it is most needed. And also, especially for us Lutherans who can be shy sometimes, um, to, to go out and to wait for the invitation for us to talk about Jesus, even from being asked something as simple as, why are you being so kind to me? Thank you for joining us for this episode of Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives podcast. Hey, if you liked what you heard today, first of all, great. If you liked it so much that you'd like to support us with a financial gift, please go to our website, RedeemerMilwaukee.org. There you will see links to our YouTube services, information on how we're trying to serve our neighbors during the hardships of this pandemic, and yes, the donate button. Thanks in advance for the help. Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives is a podcast of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm Lisa Bates-Froyland, your host. Aaron Musser is our editor, sound designer, and engineer. Meredith Sype Sumner wrote and performed our theme. Join us again next week. And until next time, peace be with you, peace be within you, and may peace be among us all. Goodbye.